One Hope Church. Well, good morning again, One Hope Church. My name is Derek. Um, last For the last two weeks, um, Marcus has preached from the book of John as we've been continuing through our study in chapter 16, and today we'll be looking into chapter 17. And I am ready for this Sunday. Um, I, I looked online this morning when I got up, and it said that it was going to be 90, like I think 90 degrees by 1030. And I said, I've never once in my entire life worn a tank top to sh- church, but today I'm wearing my Sunday best tank top. There you go, because it it's, it's going to be a blazer. And I've got a towel for my bald head since I don't have any hair to catch, uh, catch the sweat. I've got a fan, and I've got some cool water, and I've got the Word of God. I am ready to go this morning. So let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer uh, before we look at John chapter 17. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your Word. We thank you so much that you've given it to us, uh, that we can know the words that Jesus said when he was alive, that we can look back through the history of man and see your hand in everything working. And uh, we thank you so much for that. I pray that as we look into your Word today, and read these words from John's account, um, that they would that we would take them to heart and that you would use them to change our heart and have your way in us, that we would truly be your people and walk with you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, first I want to give just a quick recap of where we were in chapter 16 before we hop into the verses here in chapter 17. Um, Here's a big recap. Let's start with creation. The Lord made the world. He made man in his own image. Human beings are unique and fascinating creatures. Just look at around through the windshields. Have you ever seen another um, group of animals meeting in cars, looking at each other through windshields so they don't catch a pandemic that they've discovered and they're working on a cure for? No, human beings are just different, right? We have a consciousness that we don't even completely understand. We are unique, made in the image of God. Um, But the bad news is that Adam and Eve, the first two, fell into sin. And human beings have had this infection forever, a pandemic that we can't get away from. Um, But Jesus has worked with human beings and redeemed human beings and had his way with human beings, even from the beginning. Um, And we are in the midst right here of a cosmic event here in John chapter 17. These are the last words of Jesus with his disciples that have spent years with him before he goes to the cross and then eventually to come from the empty tomb and then uh, to go be with the, the Father forever. But we're here at this the moment of this uh, cosmic event with Jesus' last words. Um, and uh, we read in chapter 16 that Jesus explained clearly that he came from the Father and that he will return to the Father. He's taught that before, but now the disciples, and at least it shows here in chapter 16 that they understand that. That he will be gone a little while, they will not see him, but then they will. What he's speaking of there is he's going to be gone just for a few days because he's going to go into the grave. He will come up from the grave in victory, but then also will return to the Father ultimately. But he's explaining these things to them. And he also tells tells his disciples that they will be scattered and that they will have trouble. Not exactly what anybody wants to hear, but he's telling them the truth that they need to hear. The good news at the very end of 16, he says in verse 33, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is the victor. And then in chapter 17 that we look into today, it is one big long prayer, which is an amazing prayer, amazing thing to see. And Jesus prays for a few things. First, in the first five verses, he prays for himself. 
then he prays for his disciples that have been with him uh, that he's been teaching for all this time. We see that in verses 6 through 19. Then also he prays for those who will ultimately believe through the message of the disciples. And who does that include? That includes us. So we actually get to see Jesus, the Son of God, praying to the Father before he goes to the cross for you and me today. So it's an amazing passage of Scripture um, that we're going to look at today. And, and again, the, con- the last context in verse 16, as he says, Take heart, but I have overcome the world. And then we go right into verse 1 right here in chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Now, it's easy to read words and not sink in, but a person that is in human form says to the Lord, glorify me. When has that ever been okay ever in human history? (laughs) Never. Jesus is unique. He says, glorify me um, that I may glorify you. Um, What does that mean exactly? You know, we we talk about worshiping and extolling and glorifying the Lord. Is Jesus talking about sustaining through suffering? Is he talking about his glorification into into heavenly glory? Well, I'll leave you with a bit of cliffhanger because we'll find out a little bit more as we get into verse 4. But that's just an amazing statement here by Jesus that the disciples get to watch him after he's explained this to him. Lift his eyes to heaven and say these words. Verse 2. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, speaking of himself, the son, to give eternal life to all who you have given him. So Jesus has the authority to give eternal life to all that the father has given him. And then he makes this clear. He says in verse three, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, when we talk about eternal life, we're not talking about fire insurance. When, when you're explaining to somebody how to have eternal life, it's not just, here's a few things that you know so that you can be resurrected and not have to face hell. I mean, there's some truth in those things, but there's something fundamentally different about what Jesus has to offer um, in knowing God. You know, if we remember from chapter 3, earlier in the book of John, Jesus talks to Nicodemus and tells him that we must be born again. We must be born of water into this world, but also be born of the Spirit. And that is a brand new life. It's a different type of life. That eternal life begins when you were born of the Spirit. And um, so this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's interesting, Jesus refers to himself in the third person right there. But he used the word to know God. It's like, this. he doesn't say, this is eternal life. To hear about the, God, hear about the good news, it's not to hear about. It's to know. The, and the word know we see in scripture used normally very intimately. It's used even in sexual relationships in scripture. That's not what it has in mind here. But to know God is not to hear about God and say, yeah, I kind of agree with that. There's something that actually fundamentally changes when you know God and you are born again and born of the spirit. There is something different that Jesus has to offer. Eternal life, not just the span of how long it's going to last, but the, the type of life it is. It's a different thing when you have life in Jesus Christ. It's a different thing. So that's encouraging. Uh, Jesus continues with his prayer um, in verse 4. I glorified you on earth, Jesus speaking to his Father, having accomplished the work 
that you gave me to do. Now, Jesus is finished here with his earthly ministry. These are his last moments. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I mean, what a statement, right? I mean, that is just incredibly powerful. And what does that mean exactly? What what does he mean by that? Well, we have Jesus here looking like a human being. He was born from Mary. He's got dusty feet. But that's not where Jesus started. He didn't always look like this. He came into the world, as he explained to his disciples, and he's going back to the Father. A good verse to explain this is Philippians 2, uh, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he has humbled himself to this human form to die. But this is what Jesus is praying for. Glorify me in your presence. This The next verse is here from uh, Philippians. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So the things that Paul teaches in Philippians 2, looking back, um, is what Jesus is praying for here in his last moments on earth. Glorify me. And glorify is, kind of, is an interesting, the glory is an interesting thing that we'll look at here in John chapter 17. Because we're looking at glory to um, to the Father. We're looking at Jesus glorifying the Son. There's also a sense of glory uh, to the believers too. It's an interesting concept. We'll continue that as we study through here. But Jesus, in these first five, five verses, prays for himself, prays that he will be glorified as part of God's plan, which we know does come to fruition. We see that looking into Philippians. So now, after these first five verses in this prayer, Jesus turns uh, his prayer, he's still praying to his father, but he turns the focus of his prayer to his disciples, these guys that are with him that have given their lives to follow and participate in his ministry for the past three years or so. And he's about to leave them for the short time as he's explained to them, and they're going to be tested. They're going to be tried. They're going to be scattered. They're going to be tested like they've never been tested before. And Jesus right here takes the time to pray specifically for them. Verse 6. As Jesus is still praying to his Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Otherwise, I've made your name known. I've made you clear. I've presented you to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, if you hear Jesus praying this to the Father and you're standing there with him, you know he's talking about you too, right? And he says, and they have kept your word. It must be nice to hear Jesus praying to the Father, well done, guys. (laughs) You know, that's got to be encouraging, because they have kept your word. Verse 7. Uh, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. 
For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So they have received the teachings of Jesus, and they have believed these things. And these things we just talked about in chapter 16, in verse 30, the disciples say, Now we know that you know all things, and you do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. So they do believe that he has come from God. Verse 9. I am praying for them. Jesus is still praying for his disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, what a statement. I am glorified in them. You know, ultimately, after Christ's ascension uh, and, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the church will be born and explode in Jerusalem and, and ultimately to the ends of the world from the testimony, from the testimony and the good news from these disciples who are with them. And in that way, for sure, Jesus is glorified in them. They lay down everything they already have, but they continue their life uh, sold out for Jesus and making him known, manifesting Jesus to the world and glorifying uh, Jesus. Verse 11. There's an interesting statement Jesus says in his prayer. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Oh, Jesus is sitting right here on earth. How does he say that? I think it becomes clear through the passage here. Jesus is, uh, is, invis- is right now in the visible human body. But as he has been telling everybody, he's leaving. Uh, he will be back after a very serious, earth-shaking, history-forever-changing event with the open tomb. Uh, then he will return to his Father ultimately. But Jesus is leaving the world, and he's making that very clear, even in his prayer to the Father. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So Jesus prays for this unity. It's a prayer of protection and unity. Jesus came with the purpose And the disciples are one with him in that purpose. They're together with this purpose to point people to eternal life. This eternal life of a relationship and an intimate knowledge of God. So, Jesus has left his disciples with a picture of this that um, we get to take part in even today. I don't want to push it too far, but every, every Sunday we bring the bread and the cup to take part to remember the burial and uh, of, or to remember the death of Jesus Christ, to remember the sacrifice that was made for us, to remember that our that uh, our sins were put on Him, and our righteousness is imputed that way. Um, in a sense, we take something into our bodies, not transubstantiation or anything like that. But Jesus is in us in a way, and we do this picture to remember Jesus as well, um, that we are one, that we are one with Him. Um, he continues here in verse eleven. Excuse me, in verse twelve. Still speaking of the disciples, while I was with them, I kept uh, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction or perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So, all of these that followed Jesus, his disciples, 
um, have been kept in oneness with him and none of them have fallen away except for the one that we know about, Judas. And even that was according to God's purpose. But Jesus still holds the rest. And he continues his prayer in verse 13. But now I am coming to you and, uh, and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus is sitting here praying to the Lord, saying, I'm coming to you. But he's saying it for, here in the, in the hearing of the disciples. And this prayer has a purpose. You know, he genuinely is praying for unity and for protection for his disciples that are going to be shaken. The, the enemy is going to test them in ways that they have never been tested. But then he's also praying these things for the benefit of them who will soon be scattered. They can look back and remember this and remember these prayers of Jesus uh, and be comforted by them. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You know, Jesus' teachings are about to have, about to have him crucified by the world because the world and the, the, the evil ways of the world hate Jesus and what he's about. The words the Father has given to Jesus were received by the disciples, and they are going to be the conduit for the gospel and the good news going forward in the future. But all of this makes sense, too. Remember, uh, just back, a couple chapters back, John 15, 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Verse 15, as he's continuing to pray, that the world's going to hate me, the world's going to hate them, and he continues to pray and says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, or from evil. Now, that's quite a prayer, right? Most of us like comfort. You know, he's not praying, hey Lord, keep them from being crucified at some point. Keep them from pain. Keep them from suffering. No, 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 no. He says, keep, keep them from evil. From the evil one in his schemes. Um, and this makes sense since they're going to be the conduit to the, the gospel going forward. Eventually, all of them are going to suffer a lot of pain and a lot of distress. And they're going to die, but they're also going to be going through it with a purpose. And I tell you what, for, for our hurting and dying world even today, you know, people don't like suffering. People like to be com- comfortable. But, you know, there are some things that are worse than pain and suffering. There really are. You know, you can endure pain and suffering if you have purpose and you have hope and you have faith. But if you're enduring pain and suffering with no hope, with no faith, then that's the worst. That's the worst. So we actually have, there you go. So we actually have real good news to tell people. And the good news is not, hey, you're not going to have pain. No, the good news is, hey, everybody has pain. Welcome to being a human. If you don't have pain today, wait a few minutes. You're going to have some pain. But there's good news. You can have purpose uh, that can sustain you through the pain and you can walk with the Lord through that pain and he'll walk through it with you which is good news and then also what is also I mean and also keeping them from the schemes of the evil one you know if if they have painful lives the gospel can get, still go forward but if the evil one's schemes wreck their lives and wreck their testimony then that would be a big hindrance to the gospel you know so we need to have that prayer for ourselves too and for believers that the Lord keeps us away from the schemes of the evil one. You know, we don't want pain. We don't want suffering. We don't pray for those things. Um, 
But even more than that, Lord, keep us from the schemes of the evil one. And he continues. And he says in verse 16, he repeats what he says in verse 14. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate or sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, sanctification, that's like a, that's a $10, uh, that's a $10 word right there. That's not something that you hear very often in, in culture in, in general, sanctified. So words like that hit us and sound kind of, kind of strange. In this culture and also in the past, it wasn't uncommon for somebody to, that knows that they're about to go for, through a special task. They've got something set before them to do some sort of ritual to sanctify them, to ready them for it. And we, we might have some things that are similar in our culture. You know, some people that are going to um, go into the Olympics or into a hard regimented training where like they get away from their spouse even. They get away from all these other things just to focus on a task at hand. Um, I mean, that's not exactly the, not, that doesn't mean sanctification exactly, but the idea of sanctification is being set apart for a special task. And Jesus is praying to the Father that, they would, that he would sanctify these disciples because they are going to be set apart for a special task. It's not just being a believer. It's not just being saved. It's not just walking with God. They have a very special task. They are going to be taking the good news um, and to the world and starting the church. Not them starting, but the Lord is going to work through them to start the church. They are set apart for a special task. And then Jesus says that he's going to consecrate or sanctify uh, himself. Um, now, that almost seems odd, right? Because it's like you, you're, you're God. Why would you need to set yourself apart for a special task? It's, um, it's a weird thing. But what is the task at hand for Jesus? He has a very special task at hand. He's about to take on the sin of the entire world. Uh, so he has a very special task at hand as well. So Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays for his disciples that are about to be tested and shaken, that the Lord would hold them together and hold them in, hold them with uh, in unity with Jesus and the, with the Father and the Son. And then he turns his prayer for the rest of the chapter to those who will come to know Jesus, will come to the truth of God through the testimony of the disciples that are hearing this prayer. Verse twenty. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So, not too long after this prayer is prayed... The, the disciples tell the good news in Jerusalem. The church explodes. The truth goes out into the area of Judea, to Samaria, to modern-day Turkey, over to Greece, we read about in the epistles, into Rome, to the ends of the earth. This includes us today, which is pretty, which is pretty wild to think about, that we're listening to Jesus pray to the Father, even for us today. Uh, he's praying for a special unity. It's interesting. He's talking about 
I and um, I and you, them in us. Um, it's a special unity among believers that supersedes color, that supersedes culture. There's a oneness in Christ for people that have truly believed. Um, it's a testimony to the world of the validity of the transforming power of the gospel. If you see people in any culture, in any place, that are connected to Jesus, they look different. And I think all of us know that when we know people in our lives that are genuinely connected to Jesus, they look different. They treat people differently. They act differently. They live differently. Um, it should be something that's clear to the world. And hopefully, my prayer is that our lives, that all of us, look different uh, to the world as we are in the Father, and the Father is in us, in the Son. Verse 4. Excuse me, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now this is an interesting statement. I read this... I read this whole section many times. I think I read this verse a hundred times. And it's, a, and it's an odd statement. Uh, and I don't know what to make of it, to be really honest. Um, and I do like that there are verses in Scripture that are hard to parse, that are hard to really, really just nail down exactly what it is. It's not as simple as an ideology that makes everything clean and neat, where everything's systematic and works out perfectly, perfectly, perfectly. But we can read this and get an intimation of what the Lord means. But Jesus says, The glory you have given me... I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. And, and what does this mean? It's not really easy because uh, he obviously doesn't mean the glory of deity. He doesn't, he doesn't give that to them. Does he mean the glory of heaven to come? Uh, that wouldn't really make sense in the sense of oneness with him. Is it the glory of the truth of the words of God? Is it the glory of the cross and the open tomb that is to come? Is it the glory of the indwelling of Christ in the believer? Is it the glory of the holy purpose of union with Christ in God's great salvation redemption plan? Is it the eternal life that we spoke of before, this intimate knowledge? Now, I don't know that I can point exactly and say, I know 100% exactly what Jesus means by this glory that is given to the believers that aren't believers yet, that, that the Lord is going to give to them. That's including us. Um, but I think I have some intimation of what he means by that. But I'm going to read that verse 22 again just for us to let it sink in, and then we'll read into verse 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Which is, man, it's just powerful. So, Jesus is praying for this heavenly unity. Um, and there's really kind of a twofold uh, perspective in this unity that we have with each other and with God. And again, this is speaking of believers that are to come that aren't believers yet, which is amazing. A, that the, the twofold, A, that the world would believe in Jesus' divine mission. That Jesus actually was from God. And then also B, we see that God deeply and intimately loves those who are His. And God loves His Son, Jesus. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. 
And this is, again, talking about those who will believe. Those who you have given me will be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Isn't that crazy? God's desire, I mean, Jesus' desire is our desire. How many times do we sing songs that say, I want to see you high and lifted up. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Um, Jesus' desire is also that we be with him where he is and that we may see him in his glory. How amazing is that? There's an old hymn that says, Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face. What will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory I shall see him by and by. It's going to be an awesome day, isn't it? And so we will finish up here with the two last verses from chapter 17. Verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you have sent me. It's interesting. Jesus continually says Father. Earlier he says Holy Father. Right here he says Righteous Father. And it kind of is a juxtaposition between the righteous father and the world, which is not righteous. It says, O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Verse 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you, uh, with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them which is just an amazing prayer that we do get a sense of Christ in us for those of us that have eternal life that have been born of the spirit Jesus made known to the disciples what God is like you know and we continue to make him known how by displaying God's love on a gruesome cross you know that's what Jesus is going to continue to do to make uh, God known to the world but what is God like? What is the Father like? He, he's like this. He's the type that would send his one and only sinless, blameless Son into a world of all these people that are filled with sin and wretchedness and offer his Son as a sacrifice in order that he may know, uh, have an intimate relationship with these people that were sinners. And it requires that sacrifice for the cleansing but that's, that's what our God is like. He loves us enough to sacrifice His one and only Son to know us, which is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. He sent His only unique Son that those of us in sin may be clean and walk in an intimate relationship with God and ultimately follow Jesus in death and in resurrection and to continue into the eternal life uh, which He has given us, which is an amazing thing. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for these verses that we got to read this morning. I thank you so much for your son who is willing to come to this earth to be humbled into the form of a human, to suffer, to know temptation, to live a perfect life, to teach the words of God, to teach the truth. To give himself as a sacrifice. 
to take on the sin of the world, but also to raise in victory, to give us hope of life after death, but give us a new life even now, an intimate knowledge and relationship with you. Lord, it's an amazing thing and we're grateful for it. We're thankful for it. And Lord, I pray that you would go with us even this week, uh, that we would tell this good news to those around us, that we would live in such a way that people see that we're different, that we don't live making decisions just on what feels good, that we don't live a life doing what makes us happy, that we live a life of purpose for you, that we walk with you, that we're influenced by your words to us, that we would walk in a way that we feel your love, that we are burdened for this world, that we do the things that you want us to do, that we would be your hands and feet to a hurting, broken, and dying world because we have the truth of new life and an intimate relationship with our Father. We thank you for this truth. Uh, Lord, may it be real in our lives and visible to those around us. Um, And may we walk closely with you this week. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.